The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, let the glory of your presence fall in this place. Let every heart be stilled with the understanding that you alone are God. Let the magnificence that is you, that is your name, be released over our lives. Father, show us your love. Show us your grace. Show us your mercy again. And strengthen our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're looking at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There they are on the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. You will read about them. And they are the forefathers of the Christian faith. And as we look at their lives, what we see in them is the unfolding, the beginnings of many of the major themes that come through the rest of the scriptures. Themes like choice, God chooses. So God chose Abraham. We see that, you know, when you're reading the story about Abraham, you just think, oh, this is part of the story. But when you look back over the Bible, you realize that what was happening in his life is actually a shadow of many other things that happened throughout the rest of the scriptures. So we see this fact that God chooses, God befriends. God makes a friendship with Abraham. In James, it talks about Abraham, my friend. And you think of that. God wants to come and make friends with you. Not only does he want to call you out of darkness, he chooses you, but he wants to be your friend. I am a friend of God is what we should be able to say. And developing that friendship, just as we would develop any other friendship, is something that we need to be about. So at the beginning of the patriarchs, we see these sort of themes coming about. Also the fact that God wants to give us an inheritance. Just as he wanted to give Abraham an inheritance, an inheritance of this land. This land I'm going to give to your, uh, to your forebears, is what he was saying to Abraham. So we have an inheritance. What is our inheritance? Is our inheritance land? Well, in one sense it is. Because there are mansions that have been prepared for us in the heavenly places where God is going to take us to. There is an inheritance. It's not just about the here and now. It's not just about the humdrum and trying to get through this life. We have a hope and a future that we are looking forward to. We are looking forward to that glorious day of the return of Jesus Christ when he will take us to be with himself where all sickness and sadness is removed and we are in the glory of his presence. There is an inheritance that is being given to us. But we saw that inheritance in terms of land for Abraham. But you see, it's a type of what is going to happen to us. And so in these patriarchs and in their lives, you will see many parts and many stories that actually are then highlighted later on in Scripture. And I'm sure more of that will come forth as we continue to go through the series. But as we're looking at Abraham, we need to remember where he came from. He was an an unrighteous, an ungodly, I don't know what you want to say. In one sense, he was just an ordinary guy. He was just a worldly guy. He was just living his life, just as lots of people outside of church, outside of the Christian faith are. They're just living their lives. They're going about normality. He was one of those people. But God called him. He called him. He says, I want you to come out 
I want you to come out of everything that has been capturing you. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family, your tribe, and your family. I want you to come out of that, and I want you to come in to what I want you to live like. You know that when we talk about ungodly lifestyles, the people who live ungodly lifestyles don't feel that they are. They just feel like they're living. And we have to think, well, what is a godly lifestyle? Is it going to church? No, it's not. It's not going to church. A godly lifestyle is living your life in the way that God has said, this is how life is to be lived. So it's not fighting against him. When he says, do not lie, do not cheat, do not steal, it's living a life in that way. I'm not going to do those things. I'm going to honor what God is saying. Living a godly lifestyle is living a life in obedience with the desires of God, the commands of God, the laws of God, the instructions of God. That is what a godly lifestyle is. So rightly so, an ungodly lifestyle is when we're not obeying God. We're just going about our own way. We're doing our own thing. It's like, well, I've decided this is what I want to do, so I'll do it. Well, everybody else has got it, so I want that too. That's going after our selfish desires, and that is ungodly behavior. But we don't judge the people out there, because if it was not for God's mercy and grace, we would just be like one of them. It is because he has revealed his love to us that he has called us in. When we were singing that song, I forget exactly the line, that that new song this morning, there was a line in there that just made me think, wow, we forget that God has actually taken us out of something. Because you come into something new. You come into a new way of living and you forget about the old. But God has rescued us for himself. He's taken us out of darkness. And for some that might have been many years ago. So I've sort of forgotten about that. I've forgotten what it was like back then. Well, praise God you have. But now he's brought you out of that into the new. And Abraham was one of these people. He was called to come out of that lifestyle. In Genesis 12 verse 1, it says there, This is the beginning of the story of Abraham. The Lord said to, uh, and in this scripture it's going to say, Abraham, that is because later on in the story, he actually, God changes his name. Now, if you want to read that, read that for yourself by going back to Genesis, starting at chapter 12 and reading about that. For the sake of just this morning at ease, it's going to be Abraham all the way through, okay? And if you see Abraham up there, You've now had the explanation. The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I want you to come out. And it's not a case of like, okay, well, as Christians, gosh, God's telling me to move. Now, you know, if there's a debate in some household about that, that's not necessarily a word from the Lord this morning, okay? And it's not saying that you've got to leave your country, right? We've got to get out of our country. Is actually a principle. It's something he's trying to get, a, get across to you. My dear mum, and she's still alive, bless her. My dear mum was somewhat quick to lose her temper. She had a bit of a fiery temper. Well, not fiery temper. It's just that there was a short fuse attached to it. So I remember at home, you would have quietness, calmness, mum getting cross, everything sort of getting a bit... And that was just the environment that I was brought up in. And I blessed my mum. But you know what? I never realized that that wasn't normal. I just thought that's what happens when kids play around and do things they shouldn't and whatever. 
mums lose it. And so therefore, they go from quiet to ah, in a few seconds, and you know all about it. And that was just a lifestyle that I was used to, and we coped with it. And there were moments of tension, and I can remember my poor dad sort of just like, oh, just, everything went a bit quiet, you know, after this eruption. But that was the normality of my household. And so when I got married, and I came into a different lifestyle, because I was at home until I got married, and then came from there straight to live with Helen. I discovered, (laughs) I discovered that what I called normal wasn't necessarily the same normal for everybody else. But you see, you have to deal with that normal because actually... The truth is, my mum had come from a situation, I don't exactly know what my grandma was like, but my mum had come to a situation, and that behaviour, learned behaviour, used to behaviour, brought up behaviour, there was something that wasn't godly about that, because when you come to the scriptures, you say, do not be angry. You see, there's a difference there. God is asking us to behave one way, but yet we have been brought up in what we call normality. This is the way that my life is. This is normal. Isn't everybody behaving like this? And suddenly, well, no, actually, they're not. But you see, that's what you come out with. And you know what it's like? Uh, William, just come up here a second. It's like, it's like if you imagine this is the upbringing. It's just stand on the stage because otherwise people can't see. This is the upbringing. <laughs> Sorry. Hang on. (laughs) Calm down. Calm down. That was not any sort of a knock. It was that I need you to see the back. (laughs) You kill me in bad situations. Just imagine this. Look, as he comes out, he came out of his family, but he's carrying a few things. In fact, look, he didn't realize that he was carrying stuff that his mum had done. He, 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 He didn't know that actually there were all sorts of things happening. And you know what? He was just going through life thinking that actually this is just normality. I've just come out of a life and this is what I'm used to. The ways that I have been taught, they, they, that was just normality to me. But you see, God says, I don't like that because I want you to come out of those things. The things that... My mum was a proud person. She comes from a humble background. They lived on an estate over in Dagenham. In the war years, there were lots of bombs that fell over that way. They used to hide under the table. My, uh, my grandpa didn't send them away. They used to hide under the table when the, when the doodle bugs and things came through. All sorts of stories I can tell you, but I won't right now. But it was from an estate in Essex. But she married, and they moved over to West Wickham, and my dad got a job in a bank, and there was like a sense of climbing a social class. Is pride right to have in our lives? Should we be worrying about social classes? Does it not say in Scripture that pride comes before a fall? Does it not say in Scripture that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble? But you see, what we've come up with, what we've been taught, all the baggage... Sorry, I'll take the bags away from you now. (laughs) Thank you, William, for that. That's very kind of you. Put these back. You can get down, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) I wanted to show you, you see, we go through life and we're just saying, oh, well, I'm living my Christian life, I've got everything sorted. But you know what happens is in many situations we haven't even 
taken the first steps that were told to Abraham that actually you need to come out of that. You need to leave that stuff behind. That fiery temper, it needs to be dealt with because it's ungodly behavior. That pride, that arrogance, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be brought before God. You need to ask him to take away all of that baggage. Are many of you walking through life with baggage? Oh, that's just the way I am. Is it? Is it? So God creates and wants people to behave in a proud, arrogant, angry fashion, does he? No. He doesn't. He wants to give grace to the humble. And so we need to humble ourselves. We need to come back to God and say, God, please, will you release me from the baggage? Will you help me to come out of what has held me? Will you help me to find release from what has captured me? I didn't even know that these things were there, but they get revealed to me. Has my temper changed over that time? Only Helen can tell you that. <laughs> and she may not always agree that it has completely calmed down. Because it's a learning process. But if we're going to say that we want to live God's way, if we want to say that we're acting like Christians, if we want to say we have come out like Abraham and we're representing him now, if we're wanting to get right for our inheritance, then we need to make sure that we are dealing with the things that might be holding us back. Oh, that's just the way I am. Well, is it the way that God wants you to be? Is it the way God created you to be? He is the one who calls us out of darkness. He is a redeemer. That is, means that he has the ability to pay the right price to get you out of that captivity and bring you into release. He is the one that can do those things. And we want to take hold of that note and be like Abraham, remembering that God calls us out. Is he calling you out of something this morning? If he is, humble yourself. Allow him to be able to take that out. You know, I talked about my mum, that she had a bit of a fiery temper. Oh, of course, that wasn't the same for your family. We were all calm and quiet. Actually, what you mean is we were the reverse of angry. We just didn't speak to one another. See, because there's many people in here who, think, who automatically think, like, that doesn't account for me because I never lose my temper. But that's because you're an introverted person and you're all, that's the way you behave. You just shut down. Well, if that's the way they're going to be, I'm not going to talk to them. Did you know that that's the same? Did you understand that that's the same type of behavior, just in a reverse fashion? But you see, that might be what happened in your household. That might be the way that you have learned. It doesn't make it right. In the Word of God, it says, if you know that your brother has got something against you, you're angry with him, you're frustrated with him, you need to lay it down and go and get it sorted out. Are there things that need to be sorted out? Is there ways of behavior? Are you passing yourself on the back because I never lose my temper? But you're the one who actually goes silent and cold. Or perhaps you're the one who actually releases just words to people that condemn them. Oh, you're no good. You're never good at that. Bringing people down. Listen, all of this stuff comes from a cultural background. It's stuff that we've grown up with or it's pressures that have come upon us. It isn't the way that God wants us to behave. And God has the power to release us. You see, what he wanted to do with Abraham is he wanted to start 
this faith. He wanted to start the family of God. He wanted to bring into being Israel as a nation. He needed that nation to be an example to all the other nations. So he's starting with this man. He's working on this guy and he needs him to come out of that stuff so that he can use it. If God is speaking to you today, please don't leave this place without saying, okay, God, allow me to lay these things down. Let's just go back to our friend Abraham. There he was. He's coming from his town just outside Baghdad or thereabouts, and he's now arrived in Cana in what we would class modern-day Israel. And he arrives there, and when he arrives, God speaks to him again. Genesis 12, verse 7. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And last time I spoke, I spoke about altars and how that can help to draw the presence of God. But I just want to see what, concentrate on the two things that he said. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. Two things that he said. But this raised two problems for Abraham. To your offspring, he said. To your offspring... But there was a problem for Abraham. I don't have any children. He's got two major problems. The first is, God says to your offspring. His reply to that is, thank you very much, God, but I don't have any children. Actually, that's only part of the answer. I don't have any children and my wife is barren. My wife cannot have children. And then God says to him, to your offspring, I, give, I will give this land. And so he's looking all around where he's living, and he's seeing all the other people. It's just like us here. We could go outside and look all around Bromley. That's nice. Lots of people own those different properties. And God says, all of this is yours. And he's saying, oh, that's good. Uh, but there's lots of other people living here. It's not like this is an empty space. It's not like he's taken into a tract of land and saying, like, this little bit, that's yours. He's saying, this whole land, this belongs to you. I'm going to give it to your offspring. So he's got two problems. My wife is barren. I don't have any children. And other people are possessing the land. Now, surely at that point, you would see that Abraham must be thinking, like, what on earth is going to happen? How can I get past this insurmountable problem. How can we get through these issues like barrenness? How can we actually overcome those situations? How can we do that? And that thought came to me in terms of our own lives. Don't we find that God does good things to us and is suggesting, well, this is what I'm going to do, or we're hoping and believing God for great things, but then you suddenly think, like, but how is that going to happen? How is that going to come to pass? We were talking about people being saved this morning and praying for them. How is Amanda going to get saved? She says, how is it? How is it going to happen? I don't know. But you see, right at the very beginning, what we're seeing with Abraham, he's being taken to a place where he's got to trust God. He's got to trust God. Because there's no other way. Of ourselves, it is impossible and we shouldn't get frustrated with the fact of impossibility. We should almost rejoice in it. What we cannot do, he is able to do. He is able to do all things. Nothing is impossible for God. I know there's a whole issue that says, like, well, he didn't do what I asked him. 
Sometimes we ask with the wrong motives. Sometimes we ask with the right motives. Sometimes we just don't understand some of the answers that come up. I understand that that is still the case for us and many situations. But nevertheless, we need to understand that he is able. Now, for Abraham, he said to God, he said, Listen, you've said to me about having children, but actually, I don't have any sons I don't have any children. The only person in my household who can inherit my estate is a guy called Eliezer of Damascus. In fact, he says, Eliezer of Damascus is the only one who can inherit because you've given me no children. That's what he said to God. Because you've given me no children. And God replies to him, and we're going to look at uh, Genesis 15, verses 4 to 6. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It seems at this point that Abraham is able to take God's word for himself and to believe that even in the midst of the difficulty that he himself was facing. God is saying, no, 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 that guy is not going to be the one who's going to take your inheritance. A son from your own body is the one who's going to be able to take, is going to receive the inheritance. A son from you. Now that means like, but I've just said I've got no children. I know that my wife is barren. But somehow Abraham receives the word, especially when God goes out and says, look, see the stars? Look at this. That's what your offspring are going to be like. And something about that stirs in Abraham's heart, and he says that he believes God because it was credited to him as righteousness. And then God continued, Genesis 15, verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land And to take possession of it. But then Abraham says, Oh sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And it would seem, and I would have thought both situations were utterly hopeless for Abraham. But somehow Abraham managed to gain some sort of confidence about actually having a child. But when it came to possessing the land, How can I know that that is going to happen? How are you going to orchestrate that? And I don't know what was going on in his mind. Was he thinking about the fact that, well, God can touch my wife, but where am I going to get an army from? Or how are we going to take this out? I don't know what was going through his mind. But nevertheless, he comes back to God and says, well, how is all this going to happen? How often do we say that to God? How is this going to happen? I can't work it out. Often what happens is that we try to take things into our own hands. And as we read on in the story of Abraham, as far as the child is concerned, he and his wife tried to work things out because his wife said, you sleep with my maidservant. And that's the way you're going to have a child. And he did have a child that way. But that child is the child who has now gone on to create many problems for the world. If that had never happened, we would only have had Isaac being born, the son of promise. But that comes for another story. So Abraham's asking, how can I know that I am going to take possession of this land, that my forefathers are going to own this land? How can I know that? And God 
makes a covenant with him. He makes a promise with him. He makes a special promise, not just any old, oh, I, yeah, it's going to happen, but he makes a covenant. And as we read on in Genesis chapter 15, we see that God then goes on to act out and to do the things that are involved in making covenant with Abraham. So he's saying, you can know that you are going to get this land because I am making a binding promise with you. I make a covenant with you. It's like he's saying, like, Abraham, because of this covenant, you will have confidence. Because of what I'm going to do with you, I'm making this binding promise. You are going to be able to have confidence that I am going to keep my word and that I am actually going to fulfill my word. And it's important for us to understand covenant because God makes a covenant with us. He makes a binding promise with us. In Hebrews 8, and I'm just quoting part of what it says there, it says this, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is making a binding promise with us to strengthen us and to encourage us. But this morning, I just want to look a little briefly at covenant, and I'm not going to go through everything about it. I'm going to use the example of marriage. But first of all, what is a covenant? A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties that is totally secure. Once it is established, it is upheld and honored by both of the parties concerned. The problems that were being faced by one of those parties are now faced by both of those parties because they have come in union together and to help each other out. It's like the two of them literally have become one unit and are working together. They're working together for united support, united defense, united action, united protection. They are working together. In a covenant, the partners exchange names. In a covenant, the partners exchange authority. In a covenant, the partners exchange weapons. That means that everything that you had authority over, everything that you represent, now becomes mine. But equally, everything that I represent, everything that I had authority over, now becomes yours. You have authority over those things. You are able to operate in those areas where I only used to operate. And indeed, because I exchange my weapons with you, every one of your battles now become my battles. And every one of my battles now become your battles. We are in this together. That's what a covenant is about. And there's a lot more that we could look at in terms of ancient covenants and how they were established. But what we need to understand is something about covenant. And marriage is a covenant. Entering into marriage, we are entering into a covenant with one another. Now, as I talk about this, I know that all of you are going to be thinking about, but with marriage, there's so much divorce these days. I know that. I'm aware of that. I'm not going to speak into that necessarily this morning because I want to look at the example of marriage because across the world, there are hundreds, thousands, millions of people who are married, who entered into that marriage agreement and who go right the way through life and married together. I know that there's lots of difficulties and things that happen apart from that, but I'm just going to look at that example for us. Because marriage is God-given. Why is it God-given? Because God loves to make binding agreements with people. Agreements that you can have confidence in. Agreements that you can grow in. And marriage is a covenant where two people come together because they decide 
that they want to spend the rest of their lives together. Now, those of you who have been married, I don't know, more than five, seven, ten years, you'll be looking back on that time when you were married and you came into that marriage relationship slightly, maybe with rose-colored spectacles, the adoration of your beloved. That was the most important thing to you. There you were, romance had a real deep meaning to it and there was love and there was excitement and the prospect of actually spending the rest of your life together with that person was the number one priority on your list and everything about your world was full of this other person. That's how we start off. Maybe 10 years in, maybe not all of those things are necessarily what you're thinking because now you've had the benefit of really understanding your partner. And you know what? In marriage, one of the things about marriage is this, that we know our partner's weaknesses. We know their faults. We know their little foibles. We've lived with them now long enough. We know that they leave the cap of the toothpaste undone. We know that they leave the washing up on the side and you wanted it done and put away. They know all of those little bits and pieces. They know all sorts of things. <laughs> but they also know this, when they started out, maybe in that church at the beginning when they were making their promises, when they were entering into covenant with one another, they were saying for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And using those words and being delighted to make those words and saying, yes, I want to spend my life with you. But did you really understand what those words really meant? But you see, as you start to carry on your life together and you go through some of the ups and downs, somebody losing a job, suddenly the prospect of how are we going to cope, the pressures of finances, maybe having to actually step down a ladder, as it were, financially. Those things come against you. Ill health can come to a partner. Somebody now, hey, you thought they were going to be out working all the time, but now you're looking after them. You see, suddenly, actually what was covenanted starts to take reality. And now I know you can sort of, oh, but in some cases this causes people to separate. Yes, I know that. But in many cases it doesn't. Why? Because they made a covenant together. And there's something about the covenant that holds you together. Why? Because a covenant is a binding promise. It's a binding promise. And it's holding you together. And actually, when you look at it, and now are looking back over many years of happy married life, with lots of experience in that time, I can say, like, it's amazing. Actually, that through sickness, through health, through richer, through poorer, through all of these different ups and downs of life, actually, we're together. And God is holding us together. And I'm amazed at what God is doing. Why? Because he has given us an amazing thing called love. And love forgives. Love forgets. Love overlooks problems. Love doesn't speak down to somebody but wants to raise them up. And love is what is the very essence of covenant. But it also makes me understand this. Actually, when I look back on it, wow. I had no idea, really, what marriage is about. In actual fact, I do say to some young couples when they're getting married, I say, great, marriage is a great thing. I say, I'm still learning. And you think, like, how many years have I been out there? But that's how it is. We're learning every day. 
We're learning. We're still having to put input into it. We're still having to make effort at it. We're still having to keep it going because it's a living covenant. But I have entered into it and I have made a promise of commitment. Sometimes that seems wonderful. Sometimes it seems rubbish. But I'm committed to that. And the reason I wanted to talk about marriage, because I know, I know it doesn't affect everybody, but in one sense it can affect us all because we can all learn about it. We understand these things. So we've got some understanding. So this isn't just a promise, all right, yeah, I'll be with you. This is a commitment, a lifelong binding commitment, and it shows itself in many ways. I've noticed that as you look at older couples who have been married literally for years, how they are so affectionate towards one another and so grateful for the other partner supporting them because they recognize I can't do it all. The other person is there to help me. And that's the blessing of a lifelong union and a lifelong covenant. Listen, this is the sort of thing that God makes with us. He's making a promise. And when I looked at it like this, I thought, wow, you know, do we go through ups and downs with our relationship with God? Yeah, we do. Sometimes it seems easy. Sometimes it seems hard. But he has made a promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm here through this. Sometimes in marriage it feels like it's getting stretched. And there's there's toughness. Some days are okay. Some days are rubbish. Some periods are rubbish. Some periods are great. We go through phases of life. No children, children, children making a mess, children not making a mess, children spending all your money, children taking your money, children going from home still after your money. (laughs) Those things happen. There's changes and seasons in life. But when you look at it worldwide, what is God doing? He's saying, listen, I've instituted a covenant of marriage and this is good for people because this is a foundation block of society but it's also a representation of what I am like. And Abraham, when he said to God, well, how am I to know? How am I to know that I can take possession of this land? God said to him, I'm going to enter into a binding agreement with you. Some days it's going to feel like you really do know. Some days it's going to feel like I'm not quite so sure. But because you can keep coming back to the fact of, I've made that covenant. You can be assured of the fact that I'm with you and I will do what I have promised. And we have to get that into ourselves. You know, we can have all sorts of relationships in life. We can have friendships, close friends, distant friends, family members, blood relationships, colleagues at work, all sorts of relationships. But you recognize that a marriage, a covenant relationship, is a different type of relationship. Why? Because it is the deepest form of human relationship that we can know. It's the strongest. It withstands so many things. It withstands arguments. It withstands disagreements. Why does it withstand those things? Because you made a promise for the better good, I will stay together with you. Even when there's hardness and difficulties, And God is saying, that's what I will be like to you. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to go away. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be with you. I am going to strengthen you. I am going to help you because 
I've made a covenant with you. I'm exchanging names with you. Everything that you represented now belongs to me. But listen to this. Everything that God represents now belongs to us. The authority that we had, which we're sometimes not willing to give up. I've got power over these areas. But God says, you come into covenant with me, you give that power and authority to me. But everything I have authority over, I exchange with you. And an exchange of weapons, every battle that we were fighting now becomes his battle. But equally, the battles he's fighting now become our battles. We are into covenant with him. And the only way I want us to really think about this, as I say, is in terms of marriage, that we can understand that, yes, there can be ups and downs in life. Yes, there can be trials and tribulations. Yes, sometimes it feels like better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness or in health. But we are in covenant with God. And he has made that binding agreement with us. That it gives almost a hidden security to our relationships. It gives that strength to our relationships. Sometimes we almost take it for granted, but it's trustworthy. It's secure. And God made a covenant with Abraham so that he could know, he could be sure, he could be confident that he would receive that which had been promised to him. And God has made a covenant with us so that we can be sure that all of his promises are for us. And that him working with us, he can work those promises out with us, with our relationship with him. Have you taken your covenant with God lightly? Has it become like what happens in the world as far as marriage is concerned? Where these days, it's just like, oh, look, we don't even need to go to court. Just, just say the word and it's finished. That's what it's getting to. Because there's been an abuse of what covenant really stands for. But we don't want to be flippant. We don't always want to let things go. We want to enter into something that has meaning, lifelong meaning, and gives us strength. So let's not take this covenant with God for granted. But let's press into it. And just like Abraham, receive all the fullness of the blessings and the promises that he received because he walked with God. Amen.